Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a special series of discussions about US politics and the Trump presidency, or as we journalists call it, the gift that keeps on giving. I'm Freddie Gray, I'm deputy editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by Jacob Halbrin, who is editor of The National Interest and a frequent Americano contributor. And we're going to be talking about another week of Trump madness and asking the question, is Donald Trump trolling NATO? Jacob, it's been an amazingly busy news week again in America. It seems like every week gets more and more hectic. Firstly, let's just let's just deal with I'd like to sort of do a general overview of the week. Let's but let's first deal with the Supreme Court and the significance of that because I think a lot of some our British listeners might not be aware of how important it is that uh, Justice Kennedy stood aside this week and opened up a place on the Supreme Court. Yes, Freddie. This wasn't a Dunkirk for American liberals. It may well be a Waterloo. Justice Kennedy was the swing vote on many decisions, providing a 5-4 vote for critical liberal decisions such as gay marriage or maintaining the legality of abortion, even as the Supreme Court, in, in many other instances, circumscribe the right to an abortion, but the fundamental principle was upheld. So now, after decades, many American conservatives and evangelicals believe that President Trump has the ability to deliver what no other Republican president has been able to accomplish, namely outlawing abortion. But how realistic do you think that is as a possibility? I mean, I think... I could see sort of on Twitter, uh, as soon as news broke, it, you could see the abortion issue just sort of erupted immediately as, as the issue. But I mean, how realistic is it that Roe v. Wade would be overturned or that some substantial Supreme Court legislation would happen on abortion? I think it is quite possible. Many of this, the more conservative states, the red states, have been aggressively moving to crimp the right to an abortion. And, and in some states, it's almost impossible to get one as it stands in, in states such as Texas. Yes. And the issue has really been a hot button issue for the right since the, since the 1970s, when the Supreme Court either concocted or ratified the right to an abortion, depending on your viewpoint. And it, the interesting question is, is this a case politically, not morally, of being careful what you wish for? If the Supreme Court were to overturn the right to an abortion, would this then trigger a, a huge political backlash against the Republican Party? That's what we don't know right now. Do you think it would? Because, I mean, as far as I know, the polling suggests that Americans, a majority of Americans want abortion to be safe, legal and rare. Is that, the, is that a fair assessment of where America is on abortion? Yeah, I, I, uh, that sounds about right. But if you took it away, then would you then galvanize the, the suburban women to, to vote against the Republican Party? Well, I suppose what it really points to, again, you called this week hectic. Yes, I would call it increasingly contentious. The, the polarization that we've noted in, in American politics, it seems to be reaching a white-hot intensity. 
Yes, I mean, it feels a little bit, from this side of the Atlantic, it feels a little bit like, you know, you're approaching civil war. Uh, <laughs> because Well, some people, some people talk about that, and they do talk about the United States splitting up, and in, you have an independence movement in California. Yes. I'm not, I don't get that sense, actually. What I, I think you've had, the, the extremes are very vocal right now in the United States. But isn't it just that isn't it just that America really has always been a quite a tumultuous country, and you've had maybe ten years, twenty years before Trump, where America wasn't. I mean, you know, the era of Roe v. Wade was very tumultuous for America. I mean, there were culture wars then. All of it, all of it centers around the Vietnam War and the culture clash that began then, because it it is not ended, and I suppose you could. You could say, in a way, we're like Dr. Moriarty and Sherlock Holmes, yes, <laughs> grappling with each other over the Reichenbach Falls. Well, we don't. Well, and, I, we, uh, we just hope we don't plunge, plunge to our mutual deaths as as we battle each other. We could, we could, we could do endless State of the Nation podcasts, and they are fascinating. But let's move it on. But actually, before we do, wrap that up, let's just ask if you believe reports, and I think that you probably do. Donald Trump might be the first president who's had children aborted, who then ends up also being the president who overturns legal abortion in America. Now, of course, we don't know for a fact that Donald Trump has no, paid no, God, that's an incredibly libelous thing to say. But I mean, the reports, though, though we, do, though we do know that the the deputy finance chair of the Republican Party has in fact paid for an abortion for his mistress. So people were joking that he got in just under the line. Yeah, oh God. Well. Yes, so anyway, let's move away from the Supreme Court and look at NATO, which is what everyone's getting excited about here, because here in Britain, we're, we're anticipating Trump's visit quite soon. And that will come just after a the Trump-NATO summit, which or Trump's appearance at NATO summit, which lots of people are anticipating. There'll be a lot of conflict following the G7 brouhaha recently. And then Trump is going to go to Russia after that. So and meet Putin. So a lot of people think here that Trump is is trolling NATO. He is trying to, through a sort of art of the deal type move, push NATO into spending commitments that they probably otherwise wouldn't make, because they're so afraid of how crazy he is and how he might leverage Putin against them. Is that a fair assessment of what you think he's up to? Or um, is it not as deliberate as that? I think there is a bit of trolling, but it is also the case that Trump for decades has voiced skepticism about the durability of American alliances and has stated that they're not necessarily in the American national interest. I think he has a visceral hostility to the idea of the United States being a member of NATO. And he apparently told the the Swedish prime minister that America should be like Sweden, which is to say it should cooperate with NATO, but it shouldn't be a member. And this, this, he sees the United States as an independent, unilateral actor, not as a Gulliver tied down by its allies. And when it comes to Putin, I think he would he would like to go over the heads of NATO and cut a, a new kind of Yalta deal where you have a condominium. Yeah. He's, he is sort of thinking in the, in the Cold War terms, 
because Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger allegedly had, had similar ideas. But, what, but although Kissinger and Nixon were, were pro-NATO, Trump, Trump is a non... He's not a president who, who, whose thinking reflects that of earlier presidents. And yes. Well, in a way, you could say that's a good thing. I mean, he's not conditioned by Cold War thinking in the way that everyone, well, perhaps not Obama, but other, other presidents certainly were. Well, some people are saying that he's just a starker version of Obama. That, that in fact, I was talking with the French ambassador to Washington, and he pointed out that, that Obama was not a, a big fan of NATO or Europe and that Trump has simply accelerated those trends. And if you take this view, then you think that Trump is not an anomaly, but someone who, who is reverting to a more traditional American foreign policy that obtained before World War II, where America, again, is an independent actor and is not paying for the defense of other countries. It's, I mean, the Obama and Trump continuity in foreign policy is very interesting because I suppose it's, it's almost inevitable that they become easternized in their foreign policy. They become, you know, Obama was called a Pacific president and Trump has had a very Asian focus on his foreign policy so far. Right, though he, he does feel an affinity for authoritarian leaders abroad. I mean, I think he, he genuinely enjoyed being with Kim Jong-un and, you know, he made clear his admiration for Kim's ability to consolidate in his power quickly by, by eliminating his rivals. And I think Trump feels some kind of a bond with, with Putin. Now, if you're a Trump detractor, you, you think that, the, as the Washington Post intimated in an editorial today, they said that they suggested that he, he might be kowtowing to, to Putin for ulterior reasons. On the other hand, it may just be that Trump is, admires the authoritarian leader that, that Putin represents and sees him as, a, as an effective person that he can deal with one-on-one -on -one rather than a bunch of NATO countries. Or you could say he, he doesn't buy into the sort of Russophobia that has really kind of taken over the mindset of, for want of a better word, the elite in Washington. That's right. Trump is, is not an establishment thinker. Now, it is fascinating to watch in Washington, D.C., and the, the Democrats used to be championing detente in the 1970s and 1980s and would denounce Republicans as warmongers. Trump has, has flipped all of this. Now the Republican Party has, large chunks of it have become pro-Russian, and the Democratic Party has become much more hawkish. And in fact, the Democrat, you know, and there's other ways in which the Democrats have changed and become the, the, the party of the elite, and, and Trump is, is the, you know, the party of the working class. Trumpism is representative of the working class. What's interesting to me, though, is how the European leaders are all trembling before this NATO summit. Trump has, 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 he appears to have pretty much emasculated them. They're cowering in fear before he arrives. Yes, I mean, number 10 has been briefing people that, that um, uh, how worried they are that Trump's going to... I mean, he's got, he's got them where he wants them, as it were, in, in terms of... I mean, this is the thing about Trump's diplomacy, is when, when, however crude it may be, however mad it may be, it works because 
America still has the biggest stick. Well, if, if Merkel's government is to, were to go down, then that would be a huge victory for Trump as well. Well, he was tweeting about her last week, wasn't he? Exactly. He, in fact, it appears that he despises Germany more than any of these countries. Yes, he really doesn't like the cars. That's big. Well, I was told that the, tr- the tariffs, the 25% tariff is a done deal. Well, that's quite significant, isn't it? Yes. Then the Europeans, I was told, have a 10 billion retaliate- retaliatory tariffs already prepared. So relations between the, the United States and Europe are going to be very rocky. And Trump does not like Theresa May either. No, I think he's, he's said that to people, hasn't he? Yeah, well, he's made his, his disdain pretty pretty clear. I don't think Britain's going to get a good trade deal out of the United States either. No. Well, there was a lot of excitement around Brexit. I think um, I read quite an excited piece about the possibilities of trade with America post-Brexit. But I think, yes, I, th- I think now that, that all that confidence in that has collapsed. Right, exactly. But then he... But then if it's just about Trump's personality, he does seem to have an affinity for Britain, even if we're not going to be very nice to him while he's here, which... Well, he's still got the golf course. So he's apparently, I think, June 16th, he'll he'll be on the links. Yes. July, July, yeah. July 16th, sorry. Yeah. He'll be at Turnbury, yeah, which is where he was after Bre- the day after Brexit. Exactly. Where history is made. <laughs> But so you, what, what, is your, what, what do you think the outcome of this summit will be? Do you think, because quite often when he builds a sense of drama and division, he, the obvious thing for him to do is to then come out and say, actually, we've made great agreements and everything's fine. Anything is possible, though in this instance, it seems more the case that he would like to use the EU, the European, the NATO summit as a stage to create a big controversy, storm off an indignation as he did in Canada, and then go embrace Putin. That's the worry of the EU leaders. And do you think it's justified? Sure, but it amazes me how passive they are. Hmm. They don't, they, they're simply the passive recipients of Trump's thunderbolts. They're not really taking any measures to try and turn the tables on him. Well, I think what happened at the G7 is you see these, the European leaders are trying to talk with two in two ways. So they, they're trying to signal their contempt for Trump to their domestic audiences, while at the same time sucking up to him like crazy. That's certainly what Macron seems to do at these summits. You know, you have the whole handshake business, which has is, is become a sort of ongoing joke. But then when it actually comes to conversations, he's very much sucking up to him because he is the most powerful man in the world. Yes, he is. And that's something that the Europeans will have to come to grips with. But Europe itself is so internally divided that it, Trump is, is playing off these countries against each other. I mean, he loves what's happening in Italy. Mm. And maybe, maybe if Merkel were to be toppled in Germany, it's perhaps as soon as this weekend, Trump will be feeling his oats. Yes, his, his moment. And he wants to create a, a conservative international. Someone called him the Karl Marx of the right. <laughs> it's, very, it's a very interesting thought. And I think we'll end it there. But thank you very much, Jacob. Thank you, Freddie. Thank you very much for listening. Just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And you can also subscribe to the magazine through our special podcast offer, which is on www.spectators.co.uk forward slash pod offer. And we'll even throw in a Spectator Moleskin notebook for people who take up that offer. 